Welcome to the Next Level Leaders Podcast with me, Dr. Joseph Walker. This podcast is designed to offer strategies in moving vision to reality. Leaders can expect to be mentored, inspired, and challenged to succeed at the next level. So prepare to be exposed, empowered, and equipped for excellence. Thank you for connecting and allowing this space to become an opportunity for growth and collaborative learning. Now, let's go on this journey together and spark the change we wish to see in ourselves, our teams, and the world. Welcome to Next Level Leaders Podcast. I'm Dr. Joseph Juan Walker III. This is the place where we welcome you into insight about issues that we believe could help you as a leader get to the next level and also challenge you to open up your mind and spirit to receive revelation and knowledge about a variety of different topics that I believe will not only make you better, but make our community better. I want to thank all of you for your support for this podcast and sharing it with so many people. I want you to continue to do that because it has truly, truly, truly uh, been able to reach areas uh, that we had not even imagined. We're thankful for all of you being tuned in today. And today I'm excited to talk about something that I believe really speaks to what uh, our culture, our community needs to understand now more than ever. Obviously, with the heightened racial climate in our culture, uh, it is important to understand that this issue of the administration of justice is critical. We often are hearing words on the street about the police, the police, the police, but we must understand that the criminal justice system is broader than the police. The criminal justice system is not just policing, but it is the judiciary. It is it is all of it from prison reform, sentencing, all of that. And one of the things that I've been very interested in is how so many folks of late have been falsely accused and exonerated. We've seen stories out there about folks who have been in prison for years and DNA and other evidence has proven that they have been falsely imprisoned. And uh, it has been something that has been eye-opening and helping us all as a community understand that we have to take a closer look at uh, why particularly persons of color, men, uh, have been falsely imprisoned on trumped up charges, you know, speculation, et cetera, and not really given a fair shake throughout the criminal justice system. Justice takes a while, <laughs> but when it finally comes, uh, it does come. The story I want to share with you is a story that is very personal to me because this story and this conversation is from a gentleman who I have a great deal of respect for. Uh, he is uh, a young man who was on a tremendous trajectory in the community of Nashville, and I want you to hear his story. It's a story about how one day uh, you can be giving your life to the community, serving, trying to bring up the next generation and the next moment you can be falsely accused and literally go through the criminal justice system and end up with 25 years day to day in prison. And then ultimately, after over six years, almost seven years of sitting in a jail cell, being exonerated because the state of Tennessee's appellate court or Supreme Court, he'll tell us which one, deem it insufficient evidence to actually convict a person of something that they did not do. And clearly it was very obvious based upon what came out that this person did not do it. Uh, what that was about, who this is about is William Arnold, Dr. William Arnold, 
Thank you for being on Next Level Leaders, my friend. How are you? I am well, Bishop. I am well. I want to just, oh my goodness, I want to thank you for just giving me this opportunity um, just to be here today, man. I thank you for your strength, your courage, and your support, man. You have been a blessing to me and also to my family and everything that you've said and you've done. So I thank you for having me here today. Well, well, thank you. And, uh, you know, man, you're, you're just a great guy. Tell everybody who William Arnold is, where you're from, where you were educated, because okay. I think that's going to set a good backdrop into our conversation. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just an old country boy, man, from a small town in West Tennessee. Most folks have probably never heard of it. It's called Memphis. I uh, was born and raised there, uh, public school system educated uh, by a strong single mother who taught me the importance of organization, responsibility, and books. Uh, though my dad didn't uh, didn't live in a house with me, uh, he was a church deacon, still is a church deacon, and, and taught me the importance of service, uh, doing for others. Uh, strong, praying grandmothers, and uh, they sent me away to Knoxville after uh, finished high school and uh did my undergraduate work there, and then I moved to Nashville and and uh, did a master's and a doctorate of higher education at uh, Tennessee State University. And it was there that I, I made a home and started making a life, man. So I'm just a, my life has pretty much existed up and down I-40, man, from Nashville uh, to Memphis to Knoxville. Wow. So here I am. Wow. Yeah. And and you've been very involved, like, in the community. So, so William Arnold, uh, Dr. William Arnold, uh, educator, one who's given to the community, a lot of folks need to know your, your civic social relationships, you know, Alpha Phi Alpha, all that, leading that chapter here in, in, in Nashville, leading the community on so many yeah. boards and et cetera. And then, of course, you get uh, involved with an organization that mentors youth. Talk about that for a second. Okay, uh, sure. Well, you, know, you mentioned the fraternity. And uh, one thing that we had uh, was a partnership. We in the fraternity. We had a national partnership with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Uh, at the time, uh, I was viewed as one of the leaders in the, in the chapter, and I'd done mentoring, so it was, it was nothing to me. It was something I'd, I'd done with a number of uh, young people over the course of my life. So I felt that, hey, this is a national project. Uh, lead by example. I need to be involved in this. And so I signed up to become a Big Brother. Uh, and I did that in 2007. So I, I, I've been working uh, with this organization, yeah, since 2007, Big Brothers Big Sisters. So let's talk about the day that you were having a normal day, doing what you do, yeah. and you get a call or something happens that says, we need you to come in and talk to us. Let's talk about that. Take us through that. Sure. Okay. Gosh, it would have been uh, December 2010. You know, for as long as I can remember, I've, I've always volunteered and worked with, with young people, as I said earlier. And I uh, got a call from uh, my accuser's mom, just, just out the blue, uh, with these allegations. And uh, anybody who knows me, knows anything about me, you know that while I may be many things, I'm not someone who would harm anyone, much less a child. Right. So I guess anybody can imagine my surprise. Uh, when the mom called me, I mean, it was unbelievable, uh, but she was willing to push this thing through. Um, there was nothing there with the exception of a, 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 the accuser saying one thing and all the evidence saying something else. So you know, I was kind of stuck. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. You know, thankfully, I'm on this side of freedom and sanity, 
And I just got to continue with the good Lord and my challenges work out anything else as well. Yeah. So, so you end up being accused. This thing goes to, um, goes to investigation, ultimately indicted. Mm -hmm. Ultimately now your name is being run across television screens. And Mm -hmm. it's obviously a very emotional roller coaster for you because obviously you've not had this kind of social crucifixion ever in your life. Right. And, 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 and then you have to go to trial and you go to trial and you're sitting there, you know, obviously when a man knows he's innocent, you're trusting the judicial system. You're mm-hmm. believing that when all this comes out in court, you know, everybody wants that they're in court. You're like, you know, this is absolutely going to exonerate me. And they're going to realize, wow, this could not have happened. Talk about the day when the jury comes back and, and says guilty. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, I want to say, uh, you know, today is also an emotional day because it was literally Bishop, and I, I, hadn't, I hadn't mentioned this to you, it was seven years ago today on July 13th that my freedom was taken away from me. Wow. Uh, my trial ended on Friday, uh, July 13th. Uh, we finished about 4 o'clock, 4.30. And then the jury deliberated for about seven hours. Seven hours. So, I, so I'm, I'm just waiting. And we were called back to the courtroom a little after 11 o'clock at night. And um, the jury came back with, you know, there were six charges and the jury came back with the decision of guilty. All of the evidence, if you will, against me was the accuser's testimony. But the judge instantly acquitted me of two of those charges because he said they were physically impossible. In other words, they couldn't have happened, which meant that apparently my accuser wasn't telling the truth in the judge's eyes but he still allowed those other four uh, charges to stick. And in that moment, he, he looked at me and he said, and by law, I have to take you into custody now. So that morning I go into the YMCA and worked out, uh, parked my car outside the courthouse, still had my sweaty clothes in it. My home was still just as it was when I left that morning, uh, my desk at work, everything was there, but my life was literally snatched away from me a little after 11 o'clock on that Friday night. And, Going back to that moment right now, uh, I feel myself <laughs> uh, getting a bit emotional. Yeah, but wow. um, it was it was it was taken. There was no time to get your affairs in order. I was from July thirteenth, two thousand thirteen, until April sixteenth of this year. I was incarcerated um, with with you, know, and uh, it became just then. Uh, uh, it was about faith. Um, this, this system, this justice system, as we call it, in, in its own schizophrenia, took away my life. It took away my freedom. And so then I had to try to believe in this system again to free me. And so it was, it was at that point of, of, of struggling with this that I had to just say, this isn't my battle. This isn't my battle. I can't believe in this system. I've got to believe in something else. Wow. And uh, that's wow. where I just, I just had to turn it loose. That is, <laughs> yeah. a, that is, a, that is a, a very powerful statement. I remember driving those hours to come and see you. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I came to pray with you Mm -hmm. and one of the things I was incredibly impressed with was your optimism and your faith. And I'm curious for our listeners, how do you, how do you hold on to your faith uh, in a situation knowing that you have this uphill battle? Um, Because they, they say the hardest thing to do once those doors close is to, is to get out of there. The hardest thing ever in life is, is to come up out of a, a situation 
through the same system that imprisoned you? How did you hold on to your faith? How did you keep your head in the midst of all of that while you were trying to work on your case and and come to the place where you are today? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest. First, I'm going to say I'm not going to sugarcoat. I mean, this was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my 40 plus years of life. And it was, it was hard, Bishop, because I was, I don't know, I believe and I still believe that the criminal justice system had failed me. Like any American system, I put American citizens, I put my faith in, in what was there. You know, I checked all the boxes and done the things that, that, you know, we're told we're supposed to do to achieve this American dream. Yeah. So I was brought in. But then there was something else. <laughs> and it's that something else. It's that, that going back to what was poured into me, being thankful that I was raised in a, in a Christian household, that I had a host of praying parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and had some real prayer warriors on my team. So I had to then dig deeper and look at what was poured into me. What had been poured into me? What did I know that at the end of me, it was, it, it was, there was something else. And um, we talk about in the midnight hour, we talk about how when you gotta, you gotta turn it over to God. As much as I love my mama, as much as I love my dad, my friends, Romans, countrymen, whatever. When you're in a cold, dark jail cell um, in the middle of the night and all you can do, Bishop, you gotta give it to God. You got to. I knew that there was nothing I could do, no amount of money no amount of education, no amount of anything that I or anybody that I knew had was going to get me out of there. So I, I had to give it to him. I had to take it to the throne and say, God, this is yours. This is beyond me. So it was coming to that point of, I can't do nothing with this. That I, I realized, hey, this, this, <laughs> this is good. This, this is it. Um, and, and faith just totally took over, man. And you had to just walk in that. You know, a lot of people don't realize I know you do very personally realize the emotional trauma that is experienced by folks who are in a place like that. And often prison systems are not really designed for rehabilitation. They're more designed for containment uh, and punishment. It's more punitive than it is rehabilitative. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I I find interesting is statistics tell us that, you know, we've got somewhat of a 50 percent. I mean, literally false in prison rate, like, like it, it can, it can get to that point in terms of how a lot of folks may be sitting in jail cells right now, accused of things that they did not do or, uh, you know, on trumped up charges because of corrupt uh, judicial malpractice, if you will. And I think that it's important now for folks to hear from someone who's experienced this atrocity. How do you today in this moment mm-hmm. feel about the criminal justice system. Let me set this up for, our, let me set this up for our, for our <laughs> listeners. Uh, I think it's important, right? Um, there's a series of appeals and denials. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One of which, um, you know, I had an opportunity to sit in support you when you came to Nashville and uh, expert witness from um, the Bill Cosby case from Philadelphia came mm-hmm. down. Psychologist deals with, um, pedophiles who deals with the, you know, who knows it and clearly mm-hmm. said to the court mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. there is no way that William Arnold did this. And even after mm-hmm. that, uh, it was denied. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so you have to go back 
to East Nashville, right? The iron, oh, the irony. Mm. You go, you go to, your whole life is up 40. <laughs> you know, I get it. Mm. And one time you first go up 40, you've been educated and you go up 40 again, you've been incarcerated. Mm. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I want you to talk about that. You know, the exact date I'm talking about. I want you to talk about when you were denied, mm -hmm. when you got the word that you were denied sitting in the jail cell sure. from that one. Sure. And then the fight to get this to, I believe it was the, um, I don't know what court it was, was it Supreme Court of Tennessee or was something? State Supreme Court of Appeals. Mm -hmm. There you go, Supreme Court of Appeals. Yeah. And and waiting on now that uh, decision to come down and your thoughts about the criminal justice system. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, my thoughts about the criminal justice system are so <laughs> all over the place. Um, but yeah, that, that, that moment, I believe that would have been about March, April of 2018, um, we had the hearing in Nashville. Dr. Barbara Ziff, who's you know one of the world's leading uh, forensic psychiatrists and who's an expert, as you said, on uh, folks who commit sex crimes, who commit sex crimes against children. She uh, she was a key witness in the Harvey Weinstein case. She's a key witness in the Sandusky case. Bill Cosby, the Archdiocese of New England. I mean, she's been all over the place. So for that woman, that, that lady, that person to come into the courtroom and to tell the court that she has never laid eyes on me, but based on every document she had reviewed and even an interview with my accuser, she came to the conclusion that I was not a monster. I was not a criminal. I was not the person who had done this. It was powerful in and of itself. But for the court, and I say the court, the judge himself, to make a decision to not overturn the case was was perhaps the biggest uh, personal insult, for lack of a better term, that that could happen. Because this this judge has sat through every hearing, sat through every trial, and he had the audacity to say that. Well, it was good that she said this, but and perhaps had she been here during the trial with this testimony, it may have gone differently. So it was as if there was, he was not allowing any room to pivot, any room to say justice has been denied, justice has, has made a mistake. So it, 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 it hurts to think that there are people who are involved in the criminal justice system who A, manipulate it, but then B, who can't understand the importance of saying, I was wrong. We were wrong. We wronged this man. So it, it, it makes you have this... Um, it makes you very uh, ambivalent about just dealing with the entire system. Uh, and, and that's about the best I can say. <laughs> yeah. Do you think a lot of that, a lot of what you experience gives rise to, I think, what we're seeing in the community today, the, the suspicion around the administration of justice, the visceral response to the justice system by a lot of African-American men in particular, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, you know, the protest and all of what we're seeing, do you think that this is just really par for the course in terms of the community understanding where this level of distrust and, and anger uh, comes from? Right. Because you feel like, uh, or you know that I was born in America. I have the, the, the ink on my birth certificate is no less than the ink on someone else's birth certificate. I have all full rights and privileges of the constitution. But then in the eyes of justice, I'm seen as less than a man, less than a person. I'm not human. I'm three-fifths of a human. I'm 60% of what you are. Yeah. So part for the course, exactly. But what was, I guess, even more amazing in my situation is that the district attorneys 
and their um, their articulation of me, it was that I was arrogant because I was educated. I was guilty because I tried to help someone because I wore a suit to court because I was clean cut because I was articulate. I think she said because I speak the King's English. And so there's a whole different uh, uh, end of the spectrum of how to disrespect and to convict a black man. It wasn't for the usual things of he didn't come to court appropriately. He didn't, he wasn't prepared. He was overprepared. He was too educated. He was too articulate. Therefore he had to do this. So in the eyes of justice, it, it makes you say, what is just? What is just? Wow. So, and certainly I don't want to get into too much of the case. I do know it's important mm-hmm. for our, our hearers to know that your name is William and that there was mm-hmm. clearly based on public knowledge of the case, Sure. Another William that the accuser yeah. uh, had yeah. in his life, um, yeah. and it all came down to William, 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 right? And yeah. I, I yeah. think what what now I want to talk about is tell us about the day um, when I mean I want you to really walk us through the mental space you were in. Walk us through that day. That day you were you woke up that morning. This is the day when you've discovered when you hear that the Supreme Court of Appeals has has exonerated you, has said your your your, mm. your 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 conviction was thrown out. I want you to walk us through that yeah. morning, getting up. What, what's going on in your mind? Uh, sure, what, sure. What, what time did your attorney call? What did your attorney say? What did you do? I, we want to walk us through that day. Okay. Uh, gosh, well, I started my day like any day, uh, of course, with with, with my devotional. Uh, thanking God just for, for allowing me to be 10 feet or 10 toes down, six feet above ground. Even in that environment, uh, I got up, I would do morning yoga by myself. I'd stretch for about 30 minutes. Um, and I went, you know, went to work. I was a recreational worker. I went and worked out, had breakfast, all those things. And then, uh, late that afternoon, I, I called a cousin and, um, Called her to see what was going on, and she said, uh, "Why?" That's what my family calls me. Why? Your, your case is overturned, and I was like, "What?" She said, "Yeah, it was announced that your case is overturned." And so I said, "Okay, well, let me call you back." And so I went immediately to the prison library, got a pass to go to the library for my my pod officer, and um, we have this one computer in the library that's connected to Westlaw. Westlaw allows you to review, look up all types of cases. And when I got there, it had not hit Westlaw. So I knew she wasn't joking because of the seriousness of it. So then the next morning, um, I got up early, I went to the library, and it was there. It was on Westlaw. It was a 70-page opinion that said, this man is going home. And um, I, I... I just stopped and I, I just, you know, I, I, I told him, like, let me print this out. So you heard this, to, so you heard this, you heard this from your cousin. Heard from my cousin. The next day you go to the library. You hadn't heard from your lawyer yet. Yes. You hadn't got any official from your Correct. lawyer. You see it nothing. online. So when you see it online, who do you tell first? Do you tell one of the guards? Do you tell people around? Like, what are you, what, what's going on? Walk us through what's happening. Okay. So I came into the cell and I sat down and I started thumbing through it. And then... A few minutes later, I get a knock on my door from the guard telling me I've got to go to the library. And I was like, for what? I just left the library. So I'm walking out of the unit, 
and this is where it, it hit me in terms of how how big this was. There was a guy who worked in the library who was walking up the hill with a guard, and he has an envelope in his hand. And he says to me, Doc, that's what they called me in prison, Doc, you're going home. And so I said, what? He said, you're going home, man. You just hit the uh, computer, and we printed it out, and I, and I, I got kind of offended. I said, that's my personal business. He said, no, Doc, you don't get it. And this guy was doing a life sentence without parole. He said, this is a win for all of us. This is a win for all of us. So for a man to to win in the criminal justice system is it, it was just about me. This this brother framed it to let me know that this is bigger than you think, man. Because there's so many of us that won't go home. So just knowing that somebody was able to work through this system and go home is a win. And all I can do is just shake this brother's hand and thank him. So that was some of my first conversation with someone about it, and that it was trained instantly for me in that way out on the prison yard, man. Lord, man. And and so yeah. t- walk us to the day when your last day, the day you walked out. Walk us to that day. So, uh, gosh, uh, well, that, that was February 5th, February 6th-ish. Um, and then, of course, you know, with, as the world is today, there's going to be apocalypse hit, and all of a sudden it was Corona. Um, and so, uh, we were quarantined, um, for the last couple of days, at least my unit was. And, um, because of Corona, the courts had stopped functioning as usual. So I had to wait 60 days for the court to decide, at least for the, um, the state attorney general to decide they were going to appeal. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Corona happens. Courts aren't functioning. Hmm. Are they going to appeal this? Because if they decided to appeal, that, that could mean who knows how long. On the 60th day, or this is the 61st day, I found out they're not going to appeal. So then it became this sort of waiting game. They don't tell you, when you whenever you're being transported, they don't tell you when you're going to leave because of the fear of somebody breaking you out. Sure. So I knew at this point I was no longer a convicted felon, but I was still in state custody. So I knew they couldn't hold me long. And um, on Thursday, April 16th, uh, they, when it's time for you to go, they come to you and they say your name and they say, pack your stuff. I want to pack your stuff. And I said, okay. And they said, but make sure that you leave your blues. Your blues is the prison blues. And that's state property, so I couldn't take that with me. So they let me know it was time. And the uh, Davidson County Sheriff's Office uh, deputies came up uh, about 6 o'clock on a Thursday evening. Uh, the prison gave me a pair of uh, khakis, dickies. A white polo and said, uh, you know, take care. And as I, I remember when driving me out of the prison, I remember looking back and looking at the sign as I was passing by and in our rear view. And I said, capture this moment. What are you feeling? And I honestly said to myself, I don't feel anything. I feel like this is just what it is. It's in my rear view. It's over. Jeez. So, yeah. Man, that, that is, that is, uh, that is a powerful story. So what's next for William Arnold? What can you say? What would you like to say to our listeners today? These are leaders. These are folks out here trying to make a difference in the community. People that are influencers and hearing your story is so powerful. What would you like to say and what's next for William Arnold? First thing I say is don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. Stay faithful in the fight. Um, Throughout this process, I developed a mantra of faith, family, and friends. Faith, family, and friends. Stay faithful. Stay in that word. 
stay trusting God, surround yourself with people who are like-minded, which is some prayer warriors, plan your work and work your plan. Um, you got to stay focused. You got to stay narrowly focused on what it is you want to do and make it happen. Next for me, gosh, man, I, most important for me is that I want to make sure that no other person has experiences again. I want to be an agent of change. Uh, I want to make things better. And um, if I can just compel a number of, of entities to change the way they do business, whether it's monkey business, risky business, or this criminal justice business, um, but I got to put them on notice that uh, business as usual is no longer the order today. Wow. That's it. Wow. Well, man, I want to thank you so much for your story, for your resilience, for your transparency. And, you know, ironically enough, when this airs, it'll be a couple of weeks from from the day we recorded it. But I do think it was providential that it would happen on the very day you lost your freedom. It's the day you tell your story about how you how you gained it back. And there's so many parents, so many folks out there who are fighting uh, this good fight of faith on behalf of their their children and others and there are people who are listening right now who have these uphill journeys. I think it's important for all of us to realize we have to play our part and how we have to advocate for those who are caught up in this system and realize that, you know, there are folks who are wrongly accused and, and it could be your cousin, it could be your brother, or it could be you. And so let's not rush to judgment. I say it often and every leader should hear this, hear it well. Um, the truth and I think I shared this with you when I came to see you. Uh, <laughs> you remember this, right? I say it often. Uh, you know, I, uh, yeah. A lie has wings, and a lie will get there so much faster. Mm. And the truth has legs. And the truth may take a while, but unlike a lie, when the truth shows up, it can stand. And William Arnold, the truth, the truth is standing. And we appreciate you for sharing and thank all of you for listening. Uh, being a part of Next Level Leaders. Be a leader. Don't stop being a leader. Don't stop being a transformational person. And no, it takes every single one of us every day to make a difference in the world we live. Thank you again. We appreciate all of you for tuning in. Take care and be blessed. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. I want you to subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com or whatever podcast or download it. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Joseph Walker three. I look forward to connecting with you.